0: Good morning, Desert Hills family. Welcome to our 845 service here at Desert Hills Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us here in person. Those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, The Lord gave us a wonderful Sunday, last Sunday, lots of people uh, were able to come and be a part of the services, lots of people were involved in it and serving, lots of people gave, and it was just a wonderful day, and nothing of that sort would have been possible without you, and so we're grateful for you, I want to make sure I extend our appreciation towards you, our staff appreciates you, I appreciate you, our church family appreciates you, and we're looking forward to the days ahead. I know we're about ready to get into that mode of holiday season. In fact, I was somewhere the other day and Christmas music was already playing. And uh, I am the guy that is depicted in the famous uh, holiday liturgy with the green guy. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I heard the music. I'm like, not already. You know what I mean? And uh, but it's almost that season now. This morning we're going to look at a man by the name of Jonah. We've already looked at the fire of quitting. We looked at Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20. We looked at the the character in the Bible known as Job, and we've looked at the fire of loss. And then last week we looked at the, the three Hebrew young men who literally went through a fire, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter four. And today we're gonna find ourselves in the book of Jonah. It's one of the minor prophets. We're gonna start in chapter one. We're gonna make our way through chapter two just a little bit, talk about chapter three, and then make our way into chapter four this morning. And we're gonna look at the fire of rebellion the fire of rebellion now we all have a little bit of rebel in all of us we all have a little bit of rebel in all of us now in the 1950s james dean was a cultural icon as he portrayed a rebellious teenager who wanted to go against the grain of society in his famous movies east of eden and a rebel without a cause now, 67 years later, he is still held up as an example to young and old alike of, of people who want to rebel and go against the tide of the masses. Now, we all have a little rebel within us. Every one of us has wanted to buck the rules. Every one of us has wanted to break the speed limit. Every one of us has not wanted to do at some time in our life what we're told to do. And every one of us at some time in our life have wanted to be the contrarian in the room. And the reason is we all have a sin nature which produces rebellion, even against God and his truth. In fact, Romans says it this way in Romans chapter 3. It says, as it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. There's not a single person on planet earth that can say, honestly, I am righteous without sin. In fact, Paul goes on to write in Romans. He says, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, Jonah in our text this morning was a rebel. Now, unlike his contemporaries, Hosea and Amos, who followed God while enduring difficult circumstances. In fact, Amos was called to be a prophet of God as a farmer. He was a farmer. He left his plowshare. He left his team of oxen, and he went to go prophesy to the the nation of Israel. In fact, he called them a bunch of heifers at the beginning of his message in Amos chapter 1. He says, you kind of Bashan, you bunch of heifers. You're stubborn. You will not listen to God, and God's going to have to wake you up. And then we see Hosea, Jonah's contemporary, who his whole life, was a picture of the nation of Israel going against and going away from God and then, and then being brought back as Hosea's wife left him, became a prostitute, was on the, the, the for-sale block, if you will, as a slave. And after all she had done and all the adultery she had committed, Hosea bought her back... And took her as his wife again into his house. And all of that was to be a picture of God's love to the nation of Israel. Now unlike Amos and Hosea, Jonah decided to avoid the difficult circumstances. And he chose to run from God, his direction, and his calling. Now God had told Jonah to go to the capital of the Assyrian Empire, a place called Nineveh. In fact, Jonah chapter one and verse two, God says arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. Now the Assyrians had already besieged the northern kingdom of Israel known as Samaria, causing devastation, destruction and death. They were also on the march towards the southern kingdom of Israel known as Judah. Now, the Assyrians were brutal when they conquered cities. In fact, the Romans perfected crucifixion, but history tells us that the Assyrians invented it. We have all heard of the the Dark Ages figure by the name of Vlad the Impaler. and, And the Assyrians commonly used as impaling as a way to demoralize those they conquered. So it was common for them to impale dozens of people on the road leading up to a city. In fact, making those people human torches. Now the Assyrians were also known to take the skins of peoples they conquered off of their bodies and nail those skins to the walls of conquered cities to totally dishearten those people that they conquered. And so God tells Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Now you would have thought that Jonah would have jumped at the chance to pronounce judgment against Assyria in Nineveh. But instead, we find him rebelling and going as far away from the calling of God as he could. So here he is, he goes down to Joppa. God tells him to go to Nineveh, but instead of going to Nineveh, he goes, he set course to go as far away as possible to a place called Tarshish, which would be in what we would know as modern day Spain which was as far away as you could be in that era. Now, the Bible goes on to tell us that he fled there, it says, and went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof and went down into the ship, and he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, God had to bring a brutal cyclone to the Mediterranean Sea to get Jonah's attention. We find that in verse 4. He was as far from the will of God as he could be, but here he is, he's at perfect peace in the middle of the ship, fast asleep, running from the will of God. Now, some people tell me at times, Pastor, I know this is the will of God because I have peace. Now, peace is not necessarily an indicator of knowing that you're in the will of God. Because here was Jonah, he was just going as far away from the will of God as he could, and he was at perfect peace, running from God and running from God's will. And as we look at the story, we, we find this as the story goes on. The Bible tells us that the mariners in this ship were afraid. They cried every man to their God, and they cast forth all the ship's ladenness to lighten it. But Jonah was in the sides of the ship, he was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said, "Uh, What are you doing, sleeper? Call upon your God. Maybe God will think upon us so that we don't perish. The sailors had come to the conclusion that someone on their ship was the reason they were going to be destroyed. So they decided to draw straws, to cast lots. And lo and behold, the shortest straw fell upon Jonah. Now, they questioned Jonah before they would do the unthinkable, throw Jonah overboard. It was considered bad luck to throw somebody overboard that was a guest on your ship. And so they were doing everything possible to, to, to prevent that. Verse 9 tells us that Jonah tells him he's a Hebrew who fears the true and living God. They deduce that Jonah has fled from God and he's running from God in rebellion in in verse 10. And then verse 11, they ask Jonah what Jonah thinks they should do to him. And then Jonah tells him, verse 12, that he thinks they should throw him into the sea because he would rather die than obey and follow God. He would rather die in rebellion than live in peace fulfilling the will of God. And then in verse 13 and 14, the sailors try to row to land rather than to throw Jonah overboard, crying unto God as they do, because they really don't want to throw Jonah over the ship. And then verse 15, they finally take Jonah, they throw him into the sea, and the moment they throw him into the sea, the sea begins to be calm. Now, verse 16 tells us they're so moved by the awesomeness and the power of God in spite of Jonah's disobedience that they give praise to God and offer sacrifices and make vows glorifying God. God even used a rebellious prophet to witness to people who didn't know himself. And then the Bible tells us that God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah whole where he would spend, in verse 17, three days and three nights in the said fish's belly. Now in chapter two, we find Jonah praying unto God, admitting his rebellion, understanding his wrongdoing, and asking God for deliverance. And the Bible tells us that at the end of three days and three nights, the Bible says, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry ground. And then God gives Jonah another opportunity to follow him. Okay, you didn't want to follow me the first time, Jonah. Let me let you get swallowed by a fish and spend three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. He gets out. He spit, it out, spit out on dry ground. And then the Bible says, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah a second time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah rose. And went unto Nineveh, and according to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And notice what the Bible says in verse 4. And Jonah began to enter into the city in a day's journey. In other words, a journey that should have taken three days only took one. Spending time in the belly of a fish was a little bit of motivation for Jonah. (laughs) and he cried. Here's his message. Here's his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his whole sermon. Now I know some of you are thinking, I wish that was your whole sermon, pastor. (laughs) That was it. 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And then something amazing happens. Jonah's probably expecting the people of Nineveh to rebel and deny his prophecy. But then the Bible tells us in Jonah 3 verse 5 that the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth and they covered themselves with ash. From the greatest of them to the least of them, even the king did these things later on in chapter 3. They all determined to forsake their evil ways, to fast with sackcloth and ash, and begin to beg God for mercy. And then notice what chapter 4 says in verse 11. There were 120,000 people who were be- below the ages of 2 and 3 who did not, could not discern their left hand or their right hand who were saved. And most scholars estimate that there were somewhere between 500,000 and 1 million people in Nineveh who repented and were delivered from God's wrath and God's judgment and also received salvation, which brings us to our text this morning in chapter 4, where we see Jonah's frustration with God. Now, Jonah is frustrated and angry. He finally obeyed God, doing what God wanted, but God did not do what Jonah wanted. Jonah told the Ninevites that judgment was coming in 40 days. But instead of receiving judgment, they repented, and God decided to show mercy. Now, here Jonah felt betrayed. He felt that God let him down by not destroying the city as he, Jonah, had predicted. Jonah could have cared less for the people of Nineveh. He should have been elated at the fact that God used him to preach a message where possibly a million people were saved. Instead, he was frustrated that God did not wipe the Ninevites off the face of the earth. If God had destroyed the city, he would have returned home as happy as a bear with a camp cooler. But that's not what God did. And and we see in his frustration, Jonah tries to justify his frustration. Notice what the Bible says. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Who's he angry at? He's angry at God. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever been angry at God. And notice what the Bible goes on to say. It says, and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? While I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before, uh, before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. In other words, I knew you were going to do this. I have a right to be angry, God. That's why I fled to Tarshish. I knew you would repent. I knew you would be gracious. I knew you would be merciful. I knew you would show kindness. God, you make me mad. Don't you know, God, who the Assyrians are? Don't you know what they've done to my people? Don't you know what they've done to the surrounding nations that surround them? Now, we all do what Jonah did. Things don't turn out as we had desired, so we turn the opposite direction from God and his truth, then seeking to justify our disobedience because God didn't do what we wanted him to do. We need to learn that we are not to justify things such as this. We are all held accountable for our decisions and our actions, and we need to follow God in faith. Which brings me to a question this morning. Are we currently trying to justify not following God because God didn't do something we wanted him to do? We've been there. Most of us have been there. We make a deal with God. God, if I go back to church... I want you to do this for me." And God doesn't do what we made a deal with him for, because we, in a sense, are commanding God to do something that God never intended to do. And then we seek to justify why we've gone away from God, or why we've done some actions that displease God, because God didn't do what we desired for him to do. Let me ask you this morning, are you angry and frustrated with God? because you did not get your way with God in something. Now, in Jonah's frustration, we see Jonah also attacks the character of God. Notice verse two, Jonah says, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Now, when Jonah says those words to God, he's not paying God a compliment. He's attacking God. I knew you were going to do this. God, you're gracious, and you're merciful, and you show kindness, and these people don't deserve any of it. Now said Jonah, is this not what you said? And if it's what you said, why did you send me to Nineveh with a message that you never intended to fulfill? If it's not true, then I, Jonah, am the consistent one, and you are the wrong one because you didn't do what you said you were going to do, God. You should have never delivered the evil, terrible, no-good Assyrians. God, what do you think you're doing? Because God did not judge the Assyrians, Jonah tries to use that against God. He tries to attack the fact that God has been gracious and merciful and slow to anger showing great kindness, not thinking twice that God had showed him all of these things by allowing him to come out of the belly of the great fish. And then thirdly, in his frustration, we see Jonah decides if God doesn't do what he wants, he wants to die. Verse 3. Now therefore, O Lord... Take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, it's hard to completely understand Jonah's death wish. When he had run from God and God caught up to him in the storm, he thought it would be better to die than to obey. He asked the sailors to throw him overboard. Now, having obeyed, he's still unhappy and says once more that he would rather die and just get it all over with. It's a warning to each of us that it's possible to obey God but to do so with such a degree of unwillingness and frustration that as far as we are concerned, the obedience is no better than disobedience. Jonah was frustrated to the point of death because God didn't do what Jonah wanted God to do. He set his expectations and God did not meet his expectations, so now he wanted to die. Now, someone well told me years ago that the expectation of nothing is the foundation of gratitude. In other words, if we expect nothing, anything on top of nothing is a bonus. And I think that's a good way to live. What causes us to be angry and frustrated at the reason why we think things should happen is because our expectations are too high. Now, notice what happens. Instead of God striking Jonah down in a bolt of lightning, instead of God opening up the earth to swallow him up, God wanted to teach Jonah something patiently. So God responds with a question to stir his conscience. In verse 4, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? In other words, Are you sure you have a right to be angry with me, Jonah? And then we see some lessons that Jonah needed to learn. Now, Jonah needed to understand and learn to submit to the will of God. Notice what it says in verse five. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth. So he he makes this makeshift lean-to type tent structure, if you will, a little fort. And he sits under it to get some shade because he's waiting to see what is gonna happen to the city. Now, Jonah could have found a grateful host in the city of Nineveh to give him lodging. After all, he had just given them a message which probably saved uh, 500,000 to a million souls. And any one of those Ninevites would have been happy to bring them into their home, to feed them with all kinds of food, to give them the best luxuries of their day. But Jonah wanted to go and pout outside of the city. He goes outside the city walls, he makes a lean-to, a makeshift lean-to, and sits and waits to see if God will change his mind and destroy the city. This is akin to a small child telling his parents, if you don't do what I want you to do, mom and dad, I'm going to hold my breath and pass out. That's what Jonah was trying to do. Jonah needed to secondly learn to submit to the will of God. Secondly, he needed to understand that God had been merciful to him. Notice verse 6. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. So as Jonah is sitting in this makeshift lean-to tent, trying to cover himself with shade, God allows this gourd to grow up from the ground, and as the gourd does, the gourd's leaves uh, end up intertwining themselves with this lean-to that Jonah has constructed, further giving him shade, and uh, now Jonah seems to have a moment of happiness. But then notice what verse 7 says, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement... wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, Jonah had forgotten a couple of things. Jonah had forgotten that God had showed mercy to him when he was swallowed by the great fish. If you've ever read chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, it's this wonderful prayer akin to some of the greatest psalms you'll find in the book of Psalms. And here's what some of his words are in chapter 2, verse 4. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again towards thy holy temple. And then he talks about in verse 5 and 6 how he's under the water and he sees all kinds of mountains under the water and sees all kinds of uh, weird things in the depths of the sea. And then he says in verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into the holy temple, that I may, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I avowed. And then he says, salvation is of the Lord. Now when he's in the belly of the fish, he gets it. Now sometimes we deal with fires because There's something that just happens to us in life that we've not created them. We've not created the circumstances that we've gotten into something. An outside agent or person has entered into our life and brought problems or situations or circumstances, and then we deal with the fires. But sometimes we deal with fires of our own making. My father used to say, you made your bed, Now what? You got to sleep in it. You got to sleep in it. Jonah had to face this fire in his life, swallowed by a great fish. God had to get Jonah's attention in his disobedience. God still delivered him, even in his disobedience, from the belly of the great fish. God had showed Jonah mercy. God had been merciful to him. And he needed to be reminded to be merciful to others and be grateful that God's mercy was extended to all. You know, sometimes we have a hard time with that. My first preaching gig when I was uh, a young person was the Saginaw County Jail. A man in our church by the name of Frank had Asked me if uh, I wanted to go with him every other week to the Saginaw County Jail. They had a Bible study. They had one at six and one at seven and uh, uh, every other week. And so uh, Frank had asked me to go. Now today, in order to get in a place like that, you probably need uh, DOJ uh, uh, fingerprints. And, and you need to be on their database and things like that. But back in the day, I, I showed up with Frank. Uh, somebody said, uh, sign your name here. And they buzzed me in through three doors. And then I got in and I was in. Nobody ever asked me my age. They didn't ask for any identification. They didn't ask for anything of the sort. They just buzzed me in a couple of times. And so I remember, the f- I didn't know what to expect. The room was probably about the size of half of this section, maybe a little bit more, and there was a camera, uh, one camera back at this corner of the room. There were cameras in the hall and things like that, but there was one camera. And there were tables, uh, round tables set up with chairs around them, and people would come in, and I'd get a list of everybody who'd come in, and Frank would uh, uh, preach one of those services, and I would lead music, and the other service, he would lead music, and I would preach. And, And... Frank told me, he says, don't ever ask the guys what they've done. He said, also, um, you're not going to interact with them enough to be able to represent them or come alongside of them uh, in court because they're going to ask you. I thought, who would ask me to do that? I don't even know these people. They did it all the time. And so, and he gave me these rules. He said, these are things you want to remember. And and so I had a policy. If somebody wanted to ask a question, I would deal with all the questions at the end instead of interrupting what we were trying to say. And I would then at the end of everything I would answer questions. A couple of times uh, people weren't willing to go along with that. One time a guy stood up and was ready to come at me, and all the the people that I had been doing Bible study with for about a year and a half, they sat him down real quickly. And then the the guys on the camera, thankfully, were looking, and they came and grabbed him and took him out of there. There was a man that I met the first year I was in the county jail. His name was Charles. I didn't know Charles from Adam. (laughs) And he just seemed like a guy that was there, and he was paying for his crimes. Charles never tried to, like some of the guys, you know, I'm here, but I really shouldn't be. That wasn't Charles. Charles didn't get what they call jailhouse salvation. He didn't uh, make a decision and, and get real emotional about it. So maybe I would speak on his behalf in some court case or anything like that. That wasn't Charles. Charles had gotten saved. Charles had taken the discipleship curriculum that we'd given him. Charles started Bible studies back in the jail during a weekly basis. And I saw Charles basically from my beginning until when I was about ready to go to college a couple of years later before he was arraigned. I never knew what these guys did for the most part. Every once in a while, somebody would tell me, they would say, you know what, I I am here because of X, Y, and Z. There was a man, uh, he worked for IBM. His name was Nelson. He uh, uh, ended up coming on hard times when, when Big Blue had to lay off a bunch of people and He ended up turning to a life of crime. He had a college degree. He actually had a a master's degree and had had, uh, all kinds of education, all kinds of things going for him, but he turned to a life of crime trying to uh, supplement himself. He ended up uh, paying for his crimes by ending up in jail. He ended up uh, getting saved during our Bible studies. He he got out, got his family into church, and he's a deacon in a Baptist church today. (laughs) But Charles... Never knew what Charles did or what he was in there for. And back where I'm from in Michigan, we have something that that falls from the sky and it comes on the ground in the wintertime called snow. (laughs) And when I was in high school, I was always anxious for a snow day. You know, you'd watch the news at night to find out if your school district or your school was not gonna be having classes the next day because you didn't wanna go to school, all right? I'm sure... Most of you always wanted to go to school all the time, but I was looking for an opportunity not to go to school and to have permission not to do so. Well, one night in our, our uh, uh, little local area, they would, they would actually put on the news, they would put not only snow days, but they would also put arraignments. And Charles had asked me a couple of weeks before to pray for him because his court case was going to come up and he no longer was going to be held at the county jail he was going to be being shipped off either either to marquette or jackson or or one of those other places where you would go after you had your trial and everything like that after you were hold held being done being held and and so i prayed for him but i saw an arraignment and i saw that charles Poole was being arraigned for raping three women over 70 years of age and one of them being killed And there, at 11-something at night, I was angry. I have a deep sense of justice when you hurt people that can't defend themselves. I have a deep sense of justice. And then at the same time, I had to understand and wrestle with the fact that God's mercy extends to all. That was Jonah, wrestling with the fact that God's mercy had extended to all. We often find ourselves in Jonah's shoes, unwilling to extend mercy, although we have received mercy. In fact, Jonah had to learn something intently about God's mercy. He cared more about his temporary dwelling than he did thousands of people. In verse seven and eight, we see that God prepared a worm uh, to to wither the gourd and an east wind to knock it away. And and Jonah was more concerned about losing his temporary dwelling than he was the lost people of Nineveh. He's sour about that. He's not sour about the fact that millions of people could die and go to hell, but he's sour about the fact that he no longer has shade. And we often find ourselves in Jonah's shoes. We are more concerned about the things that are temporary than we're concerned about the things that are eternal. That's why at times we don't serve God. That's why at times we don't give generously to his work. That's why at times we don't witness to our lost friends, because we're more concerned about the things that will dissolve away than we are the things that will last. In fact, Paul said this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen, not seen, are eternal. Now, secondly, thirdly, another lesson Jonah had to learn. Jonah did not know God as well as he thought he did. Verse 9, God asked him another question. Are you sure you're... Right to be angry, Jonah? And he said, I am well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, this great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? Jonah not, could not conceive in his mind that God would have compassion on people that he hated so much. Jonah despised the Assyrians. He hated them with a passion. He hated what they represented. He hated their customs. He hated their cities. He hated their way of life. He wanted them all dead. Jonah was a bigot. He was a bigot. Are you? are you Here's here's how it happens. Here's how it starts. All these people coming from California. <laughs> I just wish they'd build a wall between Arizona and California. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> You said it, sister, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Women drivers? How in the world would somebody in their right mind give a license to a woman? Come on now. I can go on and on and on and on. That's how it starts. That was Jonah. And then I want to give you some lessons that we need to learn uh, this morning. God desires for us to follow him even when it is difficult. It is said that God's commandments are his enablements. In other words, God won't command us to do things that he won't enable us to do. In fact, in relationships, God won't command us to do things that he won't enable us to do. That's why it says in Philippians, Paul wrote to the Philippians here, he said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on their own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I guarantee you, if you memorize those three verses and put them way down in here, and way up in here, and you practice them, I guarantee you, you're probably not going to have a lot of contention in your home. You're probably not going to have a lot of uh, of fights or bickering with your husband or wife. You're probably not going to have those things with your children. You're probably not going to do that with your parents. Why? Because you're putting somebody else above yourself. God's commandments are his enablement. And God desires for us to follow him even when it's difficult. Secondly, God can use us to be a witness even if we are not where we're supposed to be. In Jonah chapter 1, here's Jonah. He tells them that he's a prophet of God. He's running from God. Uh, He is the reason why they're dealing with the wrath of God. And you know what? In the end... They made sacrifices, they made vows, they, they, they turned to the true and living God in spite of the imperfection of Jonah. Now, sometimes we think, well, my life has to be this way before I can witness, and I have to get these ducks in the row. H- how are you going to get every duck in a row before you witness to somebody? Now, nobody expects perfection, but what they do expect is Sincerity. And the most important thing that we have is Jesus Christ. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of God and not of ourselves. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. The most important thing we have is Jesus. And he deserves to be shared with everyone. Thirdly, God sometimes has to put us through the fire so that we'll finally follow him. Now, what is God going to need to do to get us to follow him? God would much rather respond in mercy than in judgment, but sometimes, as a loving father, he has to wake us up. Hebrews says, For the Lord, who the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Fourthly, we very much resemble Assyria in our culture. Assyria devalued human life. Assyria elevated man to the place of God. Assyria treated others in a degrading way. And we do the same in our culture today. Did you know that by the age of 18, the average child witnesses on television, on video games, or other media, 200,000 acts of violence. Did you realize that? And yet we glorify it. Did you know that the 12th leading cause of death in America today is suicide? people getting to the place in their life where they feel like there's no more hope, there's no more light at the end of the tunnel, there's no one that they can turn to. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're contemplating that, we want to help. Call the National Suicide Hotline, reach out to one of these pastors, myself. We want to help. Did you know that we have an opioid and fentanyl crisis to epidemic proportions, and one of the leading causes of death in America today is opioid overdose? Did you know that right now in states around us in America, they, their representatives have voted to allow a, a termination of a pregn, pregnancy up to seven days after a baby is born? They're trying to make laws that justify stuff like this. I mean, how terrible, how wrong, how, how wicked can we be as a culture? And I'm not simply casting fault this morning on the donkey or on the elephant. I'm not simply casting uh, fault on those we do or don't vote for. I want everybody to vote. I want everybody to value life. I want everybody to consider those things. But I'm not simply casting blame on those things this morning. I want every one of us to look in the mirror and ask, what have I done about it? What have I done about it? Am I being salty? Israel had an opportunity. God had chosen people for himself. They were to be a light to lighten the nations. They were to lighten even Assyria, and they failed. And God had to use Assyria to judge Israel because Israel was not fulfilling their purpose. And you know what? Here we are today. We are to be a light to the nations, and we're failing Lastly, God cares for everyone and his mercy extends to all. The greatest need our country has right now is the gospel. God's mercy is extended to everyone. We're just a bunch of nobodies telling anybody about somebody who died for everybody. And we're no better than the person that's in lockup right now. We're no better than the person struggling in this room. There's level ground at the cross this morning, and we are all sinners needing a Savior, and we need to understand that God's mercy has extended to us, and it extends to all. And that's what Jonah teaches us. So I ask you this morning are you running from God? Are you running from God's calling? Are you running from God who wants to save you this morning? Have you found yourself in a fire that you have created for yourself? And do you understand that even in that fire that you may have created for yourself, God wants to pull you out of the belly of that fish?